It's good to be here. If you're, if you're new to Redeemer today, um, I thought I'd introduce myself. My name's David. I'm another David on our leadership team here. Um, and so it's great to be able to speak to you today. Everyone can hear me okay? Yeah. Um, is everyone enjoying the sunshine? Trying to get rid of those tan lines and all that the last few weeks? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, the weather started to change a little bit, but what a great couple of weeks it's been. Um, uh, next week, Dave said, actually, um, just in the, in the roses there, about our Sabbath Sunday next week. And the Sabbath Sunday is something that we do two times a year, really, sort of around, around New Year's and around the sort of 12th fortnight. And we do it just to create a little bit of space, a little bit of a breather, just in terms of our, um, our schedule or our rhythms as a community here. And, and so I just really want to encourage you to, to use that Sunday um, to do something that really refreshes you to practice some Sabbath in your, in your life, whatever that looks like, as Dave said, whether that looks like going for a walk, going for a hike, spend time with friends or family, just use that in a way that would create some spaciousness in your, in your world that, that morning, that day. Um, that's the idea for it, and hopefully it'll really um, benefit us all as a, as a community. Um, last week, Matt shared um, on the greatest commandment, the ethic of Jesus' love, um, from Matthew 23. And so today I'm just going to sort of continue to build upon that a little bit. It's a little bit of a standalone talk this morning. Um, but over the last few weeks, particularly at the end of our, our, our recent series, Resident Aliens, we've really sensed God speaking to us as leaders. And, and I'm sure some of you have as well. As a community, the Spirit has been moving in, in our community. And there's something that is being prepared, some, something that is being um, done in our community at this moment in time. Um, and we're, an- we're anticipating what God might want to do through us. And we've been sensitive to, to, to what God's been doing. Um, and we wanted to, I wanted to sort of speak to that today because we really have a desire as leaders to, to be attentive to what the Spirit of God is doing. You remember a few weeks ago, I spoke about what time is it, Redeemer? What season are we in? What season are we in as a church? We're trying to be attentive to that. We've been creating some more space in our gatherings and um, some of us have been praying weekly in the prayer room out the back here and we're beginning to do that more and more to really lean into what God might have for us in this season going forward, particularly going forward from September onwards into a new year of church life. And so as I say, we've been making that space and I wanted to talk a little bit about that today because the value that sort of underpins a lot of of that, that underpins our worship life as a church, that underpins the prayer life as a church, that underpins really all that we are as a community, is this idea of, of presence. I wanted to talk this morning about presence. A.W. Tozer said this, that, that, that God's presence is the central fact of Christianity. God's presence is the central fact of Christianity. And so in summary, the story of God is of a God who longs to be present, to be present in his creation. And over and over and over in the scriptures, we see this. And Tozer was right. God comes to be present um, with his people. From Genesis to Revelation, the story of God is one of God's presence in and among his people, in his creation, um, in this world. Um, and that should encourage us today and remind us that God is faithfully and constantly desiring to be present with us in real concrete ways today as the church. To see um, his inbreaking kingdom 
in this world and a world that desperately needs answers, that needs hope, that needs connection and belongings. This is the story that we belong to, one like of God being with us. If you want to know a little bit more detail about that story, you can, you can look up a talk that Alan Emerson gave a couple of months ago here. It was um, beautiful and he walks us through that story from Genesis and the story of God. God's presence um, in his people and, and God wanting to show up. And Woody, Woody, Woody Allen actually said this. He said that, that 90% of life is just showing up. Um, I don't know if you find that in your own life, but just, just showing up makes a big difference. Or when other people show up, when you invite them to something or when you need them to be there, they are, their presence with you makes a difference. And so um, he said 90% of the life is just showing up. Um, and so we're part of this story um, that where God wants to show up, God has shown up in fact, he's come in the form of Christ, he's come in the form of Jesus and he longs to show up more and more in each of our, our lives. The question I wanna ask today is, 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 is I mean, how does this actually really happen in, in our own personal lives? Um, because we know that God wants to use us as a people, as his church to be to be his presence in the world, to, to bring his kingdom in this world. But, but where does that all start? How does that actually begin? What does that reality look like for you in your, in your, in your situation right now or in your life right now? Where, where does that begin for you personally? How does God show up in our lives? I've told this story before, but I'm gonna tell it again because um, it's a great story um, that sort of gets us going in the, into this idea. So it was Sunday the 14th of April, 1996 at, at the Augusta National in Georgia, which was the US Golf Masters Championship, one of the most prestigious championships in world sport. And with one round left to play, Greg Norman went into the day with a six-shot lead ahead of Nick Faldo, who was second on the leaderboard, with only 18 holes left to play. He was favorite to win um, his first Masters Championship. He was, he was gonna don that famous green jacket, enter the history books and all that. Um, and he did, in fact, enter the history books, but not for the reason that he had hoped, because absolutely nothing went right that day, if you follow sport, if you follow golf, you'll remember this, nothing went right at all. His game collapsed and he actually ended up dropping 11 shots um, on the last day. He threw away his chances of winning um, after being in such a commanding lead. The world of golf had never really witnessed such a dramatic downfall. Um, And on the 18th green, he stood utterly devastated as he watched Nick Faldo putt the ball to win the final putt of the, of the game of the day. Tired and dejected, Greg went out to congratulate Nick and reached out his hand for the customary handshake. But instead, in a moment of compassion, Nick Faldo threw his arms around Greg and hugged him. Shocking millions of TV viewers around the world, the two men who'd been competing all weekend and all day against one another embraced and Greg was reduced to tears. It had been a grueling and a cruel defeat, but in that moment, something broke inside of him. It was said that Greg Norman, he he was one of the most ice-cold operators on the circuit of golf. Um, He's something he'd really learned from his father growing up. He'd, He'd once remarked that when growing up, he had at times actually longed 
for the embrace of his father. And his father would often just shake his hand. But here he was, 18th green at Augusta, in front of the watching world, locked in an embrace with Nick Faldo, and something inside of him broke. And in the media interview afterwards, he said, I wasn't crying because I lost. He said, I've lost a lot of golf tournaments before, and I'll lose a lot more. But I cried because I've never had a hug like that in my life. There's something really real and tangible about, about that story that we just gravitate towards, certainly, certainly I do. I don't know if you saw the pictures during the week of, of, of Gareth Southgate. Everyone's talking about Gareth Southgate, and I nearly wore a waistcoat just in honor of him today. So if you're English today, apparently, apparently it's coming home. Um, it's all you English folk. But um, for the rest of us, we'll just put up with it for now. Um, he... Uh, there was a picture of him that has captured the imagination, which was him embracing a Colombian player who had just missed a penalty. And if you know Gareth Southgate's story, he had been in that position himself in 1996, in front of London, in fact, in Wembley in Euro 96, in front of the whole watching world, missed a penalty and England went out. And there was, it seems like the nation or um, uh, Europe or the world, in fact, the media and everyone else is just, is, is, was just grabbed by that moment of compassion in, another wor- in, another, in other words, like in, in, in a world which is so competitive where people are out to win, that moment of, of Gareth expressing a little bit of compassion sort of caught a little bit of the imagination. Something similar happened for Greg Norman that day and for the golf world as they watched. And that's really where I wanted to start today as we begin to talk about this idea of God showing up in our lives, like in our individual personal lives, the reality of, of God with us um, really is grounded in, in reality, that you and I, we were all made for intimacy, we were all made for embrace, for encounter, for, for an experience of deep knowing of, of presence, of, of connection. We might, we might know about something and, and, and long for something, like, like Greg Norman, he'd longed for that hug from his own father, but we maybe have never actually for ourselves experienced it. Until that moment on the 18th green, and then suddenly everything changed. Experience changes everything. When we, we experience someone's presence with us, this is true, isn't it, in our own lives? This is how relationships work with our family and our friends and our partners. And it's, it's built upon a deep knowing um, of that person and being in their presence. We all love, I love ideas and, and knowledge and education uh, and, and, and love to know more. But, 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 but when you get down to it, really, as people, we're, we're relational beings with a, with a desire to know and to be known, to long to experience the presence um, of our friends, of our family, and ultimately of God in a, in a, in a somewhat disconnected world. So it's, it's like this with our relationship with God. We long for the divine. There's a longing in us. We long to know a God who's Father, who invites us to know him and experience his presence. Each of us individually, not just for, the, for those that we think are maybe a little bit more spiritually tuned in or those that are a little bit more holy, to use a, a Christianese word or for all of us to actually experience this in our own lives, for God to show up. Um, for us to be with him, for us to converse with him, for us to listen, to wait on him, to rest in him. 
G.K. Chesterton, he said this, that sometimes our religion is more a theory than a love affair. That sometimes our religion is more a theory than a love affair. The truth is today, and this is the idea, it's a simple idea that I want to just encourage us in again today, that God's presence, God's presence with us is for all of us, is available today for us, the reality of his closeness. He is with us. The psalmist in the book of Psalms, the songbook of the scriptures says this, taste and see that the Lord is good. All of us, it's available to all of us to taste and to see that the Lord is good. This invitation to experience God is, is there for all of us. And we simply perhaps need to show up ourselves. Much like any other relationship, perhaps as we begin to make some space, to make some uh, space for, the, for awareness, for communion to happen. Um, the beautiful thing that is this is if we do this, if we can make some space in our lives, some margin where we can encounter God, a love affair awaits us because the spirit of God is living within us, dwelling within us, calling us on, deep calling out to deep. This experience of God presence in our lives is a bit like a journey from the, from the head and head knowledge down into the heart and it's a posturing of our heart before God and being open to him. There were two women that knew this really well in the scriptures, and I want to talk very quickly about these two women. Two women in first century Palestine that took the journey from the head to the heart, that they began to yearn for, for deep knowing um, of their creator, of their God. And they both had a hunger for more, for experience, for the reality of this faith, for knowing, for intimacy. The first was Mary, the sister of Martha, in Luke 10. Luke 10, 38 to 42. You don't need to, to, to turn it up. But the scene sees these two sisters hosting Jesus in their home in Bethany, along with the many disciples who were now following Jesus. And there are other onlookers there as well who'd come to see what Jesus was all about. And Martha was pre, she was preoccupied. She was the one anxious um, to host well. And she gets really upset at her sister Mary for not helping with the, I guess, the hosting responsibilities. Something that was expected of, of every woman in the, in the household at that time. But instead, Mary, she decides, instead of performing those dutiful duties that she had to do, she decides to sit at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus' response to Martha was pretty straight to the point that, that in fact, yes, Mary had chosen the better thing. To sit at the feet of a rabbi meant to be in their presence. It meant to, to practice listening and learning from their teaching. Among all of the deeper meaning in this scenario that I've just described to you, there's lots of layers of meaning in the story. Jesus breaking down cultural barriers. Women sitting at the feet of a rabbi was not allowed. That's going on as well. There's an affirmation of women to learn and to educate themselves and to be fully disciples just alongside men. All of that's going on in this scene and more. But I don't want to talk about that right now. I just want you to focus on Mary. Think about this from Mary's point of view. Have you ever looked at her from her point of view? She just longed to be in the presence of Christ. 
She longed to be a disciple. She longed to see those cultural boundaries torn down so that she could experience this for herself. She longed to experience the real fruits of this new kingdom which allowed her to taste and see that God is good, to sit with Christ at his feet, to learn and to be in his presence. No matter the implications, no matter what the onlooker said, no matter of offending her sister, no, ma- no matter what other people would have said to her, comparing her to others, Mary's heart was open, attentive, supple. She'd create space to hear what her rabbi would say. She was present to Christ's presence. She was hungry for more. She was hungry for intimacy. There's a second woman. The second woman is at the house of Simon the Pharisee in Luke 7, 36 to 40. Sorry, 36 to 50 if you want to read it later. And this second woman anoints Jesus with the alabaster jar of perfume. Hopefully you may have heard this story as well before. During the meal, the woman comes in with this really expensive perfume and she proceeds to anoint Jesus in the company of all these religious men and to overcome the emotion, she begins to cry with tears falling on Jesus' feet and she lets her hair down. Very intimate, risky thing for a woman to do at that time in that society and she uses her hair to wipe the tears and kiss Jesus' feet and she pours out this expensive perfume and Jesus says to her, her, her many sins have been forgiven for she has loved much. That's what Jesus declares to the outrage of everybody else gathered. And again, at the heart of this story of grace, of forgiveness, of the, all, the, all the layers of cultural implications that were being broken down in this scenario, the societal boundaries of Jesus confronting the, 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 the religious self-righteous people in the room, showing how his new kingdom works, among all of that stuff going on, which is really beautiful and meaningful, is this woman. Is this woman the second woman? And she clearly encountered the love and the grace of Jesus. And despite what people thought about her, she could do nothing else but respond by being present to Christ's presence. She was responding to her own longing for intimacy for devotion and for her love of Christ. These women had taken that journey, Redeemer, from the head to the heart, that knowing about to knowing, to being known, to being in the presence of Christ, to being in the presence of of Christ who is the face of God. Both being truly bowled over and grateful for the grace that had been bestowed upon them to be in that moment, to have that encounter with Jesus. And these encounters are not isolated in scripture. They're all over scripture. Story after story of people opening themselves up to the presence of Christ and being changed forever. Our our God, the divine, the cosmic creator, who is altogether wonderful, powerful, majestic, mysterious, who was before all that is, who holds and sustains the very cosmos, who breathes and sustains all life. This God, 
who's, this God is in, who's in the business of redeeming this whole world through Christ and through the Christ. This God who's shaping and reshaping cultures and societies and remapping the landscape of, of humanity. This God who's up to restoring the beauty of his creation and ushering in his glorious kingdom. This God who comes to rule in perfect reign and overthrow the powers of corruption and of sin and of darkness that cause brokenness and death. This God who is in Christ, who's realigning his creation from chaos back into its intended order. This God is available today for you, for me to encounter, to know, to be present with. He is close, Redeemer. He is close no matter where you're at today no matter how you might even feel today, no matter what chemical reactions are going off in your mind, your brain today, no matter how your body is feeling today, no matter your circumstances today, we confess that God is here, God is near, God is with us in Christ. And he's available for you and for me by the spirit of God that lives in each of us. And he wants you he wants you. He wants to experience you to experience more of him. He invites you to find refuge, to find your rest in his presence. He knows you. He desires to be known by you. This great and glorious God, the one we have been singing about and declaring, confessing about today, the one who we will celebrate when we come to the Eucharist and break bread and wine, this God has a face, and his face is Jesus the Christ, the Lamb of God who invites you to come and sit at his feet, face to face, to encounter him. More a love affair than a theory. So I wanna ask this question of us today. It's the middle of July, it's 2018. There's that summer lull, the sun's shining, the World Cup's on, school's out, Everyone's looking a little bit chilled out. It's great. But I want us to think about this question today, Redeemer, and continue to carry this question with us individually the rest of the summer. What time is it for you right now? What's God doing in your life right now? Do you desire to know him more? Do you have that desire for him to show up? Whether that's from a place of great joy or a place of deep suffering, of confusion, or of great joy, whatever that may be. Where are you at? Where is your longing today? Do you desire him to show up? Because he's waiting for you to come and sit by his feet in his presence. Maybe like you, you're like me, you think that change tends to happen through uh, getting the latest book and reading it through as a self-help book or learning about a little bit more theology or a little bit more theological training. Maybe, maybe it's, it's more understanding of, of how the human works, how human, how human beings work, how the mind works, how the brain works. Maybe it's a self-help book on holiday, some progressive ideas about human flourishing and all that great stuff that we get to educate ourselves about. That's how change happens. That's how I'm gonna make myself a better person and I've, I've, been, I've been that person I continue to be that person the key to life is just the self-development the latest school of thought the latest personality test 
latest self-awareness tool, latest conference or course or whatever it may be. And all these things are really, really good. I really love them. I'm a big fan of them. But honestly, in my experience, as I've been reflecting recently, there's, there's nothing that has changed me more than more deeply and more profoundly than the, than the presence of God, than being in God's presence. There's nothing that has changed me more than creating some space in my week to come before God, even if that looks like silence. I remember a couple of years ago, I went through a particularly difficult time with some ill health. Affected my mental health quite a lot as well. I remember beginning to learn about how to create some space in my week to encounter God through contemplative prayer, through silence, through lighting a candle and meditating, through reading scripture, just creating some kind of space where the noise is turned down and I can hear. Spent a few days at a a monastery, um, three or four days there, just trying to chin the world out so I could present myself to God, to hear God, to commune with God. And through that experience, I began some of these contemplative practices that have really been nourishing to my soul that I can practice every day. And it's when I was in those places, when I was in that silence, when I was meditating upon scripture, when I was sitting in the, in the, in the silence in candlelight in a monastery or in my own room or taking a walk in nature and just creating space to hear that I encountered the divine, I encountered God. And, and of all of the things that I look to, to, to change me, to want to change, there's been nothing that has done that more than encountering the presence of God. Whether that be in sung worship, in a worship gathering, no matter what type of church it may be, or whether it be on your own, walking through creation and nature, whatever way you connect with God, I wanna encourage you today to get into God's presence, to sit at his feet, whatever it looks like. Maybe even next Sunday on Sabbath Sunday, you can do that. It may be that a church environment, a worship environment helps you do that. It may be that you need to go for a walk. It may be that you need to spend time with friends. It may be that you need to read a book or open scripture or whatever brings a spaciousness to your life to sit at the feet of the rabbi, to sit at the feet of Jesus, to hear his voice. I encourage this redeemer to, to do that. It's what we're made to do. I wanna finish with, with a couple of quotes. Tozer said this, at the heart of the Christian message then is that God is waiting for us to push into conscious awareness of his presence. That's where it starts. That's where the God showing up in the world starts. It starts with God showing up in our own lives. And in fact, it starts with us showing up to God and creating these spaces for him, him to speak. Experiencing intimacy is exactly what we need. And it may be the thing that we are really missing. It changes us so, so deeply. I wanna read this, this quote from Brother Lawrence. The king, full of mercy and goodness, very far from chastising me, embraces me with love makes me eat at his table, serves me with his own hands, gives me the key of his treasures. He converses and delights himself with me incessantly 
in a thousand and ten thousand ways and treats me in all respects as his favorite. It is thus I consider myself time to time to be in his holy presence. When we show up, God shows up. He is with us. He longs for that time with us. How do we begin to do this? I want to leave one final thought with you from the book of James, because James, particularly chapter four, talks about what I'm going to call a doorway into doing this, a doorway into experiencing the presence of God for ourselves. James 4, 8 says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. A couple of verses later, it says this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I I honestly believe, Redeemer, and this is my final thought, that the doorway to experiencing more of God is humility. It is humility. It's practicing humility. It's coming before God with all that we are and saying, this is me. I have nothing else. Would you meet me? It's the doorway of humility that will lead us into the feet and the presence of Jesus. I'd love us to stand. I'd love to invite the band up. Just as we, uh, just as we finish. We're going we're gonna to respond to to what I've shared today and maybe what the Spirit has been speaking to you about um, by practicing Eucharist, by breaking the bread and the wine. And in breaking bread and wine, Christ himself is more present to us than we will ever know. His presence is so, so tangibly here. He promises that he is with us, Redeemer, as the church. And as we break bread, we are communing with him, Christ, the one who has given for us, the one whose sacrifice was enough, the one who is with us, the one who saves us and restores us. So I want to encourage you that if the only thing you can do today to respond is to come and just take that piece of bread, please know that you are experiencing the very presence of Christ as you do that. And his grace and his mercy to you is, this is the bread of life. Come, eat, find life here at the table, find a space here. That is what the table is inviting us to today. So please let me encourage you to come, no matter where you are, no matter where you are in your journey, please do come, experience of the presence of Christ in the bread and the wine that is here for you today. Let's celebrate Christ, Hannah.